Um, but we need to find some comparable ones to Edmonton because Paris and Edmonton are not at all the same. Do we, though? I mean, it sounds a lot like, yeah, but they don't have winter in Denmark. Lettuce on the bus for free. This week, free transit is on the table. Councillor Paquette issued a notice of motion to investigate what free transit would look like in our city. Spoiler alert, drivers are not in favor. We'll also have an update on Terwilliger Drive, calcium chloride, and whether you have to walk half a click to refill your booze flask. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 9, and without further ado, everyone's favorite right off the top, so you'll probably tune out after this, the rapid fire segment. Calgary got one or two centimeters of snow last week, so much so that they had to ask Edmonton for help. We sent an army of plows equipped with Oilers flags down the QE2 to help clear the roads. Some Edmontonians complained about the cost of plowing another city, but Don Iveson assured them. Calgary will reimburse us the costs under the mutual help agreements. What he didn't mention, however, was Edmonton's secret plan to build a Game of Thrones-style ice wall just north of Red Deer and use the snow-dumped Calgary to build it. And according to the mutual help agreement, they're going to pay for it. City Council discussed making snow tires mandatory this week. About 57% of Albertans are already voluntarily using snow tires, and that compares to close to 99% in Montreal where they're mandatory. This discussion was ostensibly about improving safety on our roads. However, as always, City Council can't see the obvious solution right in front of their noses. Gondolas don't have wheels, so they don't need snow tires. The countdown to legal pot is on, with legalization happening on October 17th. Edmonton will have the most legal stores in Alberta on the 17th, with six in our city. Calgary, by comparison, only has two. So, when they outperform us in the upcoming NHL season... At least we can blame the higher marijuana use by Edmontonians. Uh, Speaking municipally, we're a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This week, we're going to tell you about LitFest, Canada's first and only nonfiction festival. It runs right here in Edmonton from October 11th to 21st and features dozens of events with writers from across the country and beyond, all sharing true stories and big ideas about culture, food, science, politics, and more. Uh, Festival passes are only $129 and four packs and single tickets available. You can get $5 off by using the promo code APNROCKS. That's APN and then ROCKS, as in the stones. You can get your tickets today at litfestalberta.org. First up today, we're going to give you a brief update on the Terwilliger Freeway Expressway discussion that we did a deep dive on in the last episode. It went to Urban Planning Committee this week. Yeah, I hate to say I told you so, but what do you know? The road got funded. That's premature. The road Not it's, quite. The road itself didn't get funded, but committee endorsed the recommendation for a Terwilliger Expressway. Not the $1.2 billion freeway, but the $300 million expressway. So what's going to happen now? So now administration is going to go away and do some public engagement, and they're going to bring this back to council for proper approval in the spring. We anticipate that there will be a budget package brought forward uh, as part of the budget deliberations here in later in the fall. Was it contentious at all? Uh, From my viewing of the council meeting, there was basically no real debate about whether or not we should do this at all. It was the debate was, do we spend one point two billion dollars or do we spend three hundred million dollars? I think this is kind of instructive. The option that was put forward was a three hundred million dollar option or a one point two billion dollar option and no other options. So obviously they're going to pick the cheaper one. There are a couple options on the table, though, when it comes back to budget. For example, 
some of the counselors were sort of like hedging the public response and saying things like, you know, the bulk of the upgrades can be performed with one $100 million chunk. Right. So it's possible we don't build the entire $300 million expressway. Maybe we only do one or two of the 75 to $120 million chunks. That's our update on Terwilliger Expressway. Uh, if you want to learn all about it, the previous episode was a big deep dive into Twilliger Expressway, and I don't know that I ever want to talk about it again. I think we're done till the spring. The other thing that came up was liquor stores. It's the gift that keeps on giving. It keeps coming back to council. In Edmonton, we have a 500 meter separation distance between liquor stores. Last year, there was a motion that came back to council and said, you know, let's make some exceptions for suburban areas of the city because you know costco wants a liquor store and if something's across the street they can't have it because of those rules and those were passed we have an exception in suburban neighborhoods and there's been 11 new liquor stores since december 12 2016 in those suburban areas as a result of that bylaw so this week uh daryl cates was the sort of start of this motion and it came back to council for Maybe we should remove the 500 meters entirely. What happened, Mac? So administration's recommendation was let's just remove the 500 meter separation distance across the board. Let's retain the current 100 meter separation from parks and schools. But everywhere else, we don't need this. They they said they reviewed crime maps and it appears that there was a stronger correlation between the social vulnerability of an area and crime rather than the number of liquor stores. They also said that this uh, 500 meter separation distance potentially helps the monopoly that some organizations have in the liquor world and doesn't do anything to improve business practices. So because there's not as much competition, the liquor stores can kind of operate as they see fit. Council heard loud and clear that this was not something that most people wanted and they're looking at potentially removing the distance but only in high density areas like the downtown. Why? This is me asking you. I think this is a stupid idea. There's zero reason to remove this in fact, I think it should be bumped up to a higher distance. But before the show, you were saying, yeah, I think we should remove this. I'd like to hear your thoughts on if this is a good plan. I mean, I think that the point that the re administration report made is a good one, that there isn't a good strong correlation between the number of liquor stores in an area and the other things that we care about in terms of crime or business practices or even general upkeep and, and look and feel of these things. Uh, if those are the things that we care about and the separation distance isn't helping us, then we should do something different. And if we don't need that separation distance, then let's simplify the zoning bylaw and get rid of it. I struggle with this because you mentioned simplifying the zoning bylaw, which makes a lot of sense. And, you know, if a government doesn't have to regulate something, they probably shouldn't. Actually, one of the things the report said is administration suggests that zoning is not an effective tool for limiting the availability and consumption of a regulated substance, which is really interesting with the whole cannabis stuff going on, too. Right. Another point that's worth mentioning on this file is we have this 500 meter separation distance. But like all of our zoning decisions in the city, it often doesn't hold up. Right. Uh, a lot of businesses, they say, well, we want to open a liquor store. So they put together an appeal. They go to the subdivision development and appeal board. And then, you know, half the time they overturn. They get the exception or. And they're built anyway. This happens right. with liquor stores. It happens with digital signs. It happens with variances on infill properties, all sorts of things. But overall, I don't really want it to change because we already have so many liquor stores. Edmonton itself, I believe, has over 400 liquor stores within the city. At some point, one has to question, why do we need any more? 
Since um, the privatization of liquor stores in 1994, the number of stores operating in Edmonton has increased by approximately 2.28 stores per 10,000 people. So 225 new liquor stores in that time period in Edmonton. It's a tough problem to tackle because on one hand, liquor stores have become so prolific and widespread that it doesn't make sense to not sell wine in a grocery store. Basically, every grocery store has a liquor store attached at this point. And of course, that's AGLC rules. It's not the, it's city, not the city. Yeah, It's not the city's choice. And I will say, I've always found it convenient when I'm traveling in other places, picking up some groceries to also be able to buy wine right then and there. Cannabis is part of this. And I think this issue is going to come to head in the next couple of years where we're going to say, are AGLC's rules actually sensible at all? Right. Because the big problem with liquor stores in sort of like social disorder is that you have this business that's exclusively for liquor. So it can attract, you know, people with addictions, people with sort of negative connotations in the social context. You don't get that at a grocery store. Right. Like, no matter what, even if you have a couple rowdy folks at a superstore, it's full of people who are there to buy groceries for that week. Right. Honestly, I think if we're looking at combating social disorder, just putting liquor in a grocery store is probably our best bet because it was funny at council, the word janky came up several times. Lots of counselors learned that is a new word. Okay. And it was a counselor Hamilton. She described some of the businesses as janky. It's got bars on the doors. It's got a decrepit look and worn down. Yep. If you just put it in a regular grocery store, you're not going to get that sort of like negative pawn shoppy money mart experience with liquor stores. I completely agree. I think that makes a lot of sense. And that's why, you know, I'm in favor, I guess, of removing the 500 meter separation distance. Like why pretend that that's going to help our social disorder issues or the look and feel of these stores if it's not actually going to do it? I, I would suggest that we tackle what you're suggesting and put it in grocery stores. I know that's a bigger issue because it's provincial, but that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I would say the opposite in the interim while we um, try to get this is we put the actual crushing needle on the uh, liquor stores, increase the separation distance to 2,500 meters and make them lobby the province hard because they're about to lose all their business. That could be a good strategy, actually. <laughs> Moving on, there was another issue that came up this week that's going to affect our winter city. It's the calcium chloride. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, last year we started a new pilot with calcium chloride instead of sand for managing snow and ice on our roadway. We're talking about salt, right? Yeah. A type of salt. Uh, the advantage of calcium chloride is, you know, it is more effective in theory at clearing away roads of snow and ice, and you can get to bare pavement easier with less sand and less salt used. So the sand is there for traction. The salt actually melts away or the calcium chloride melts away the snow in theory yeah. and removes it without having to wait for a plow to come along and do it. Some of the problems with calcium chloride is it rusts everything to hell. Right. Uh, I rode my bike all through winter and my drivetrain was completely shot after the winter. And some of the counselors are saying the same thing is, you know, this is expected to cause an additional large amount of additional maintenance costs in private driveways and city fleets and all sorts of areas. So there was a report that came out alongside this item that said they did an environmental study and they found that there was no impact, at least in the River Valley, right? But maybe in other places? Yeah, so... Last year, and normally after winter, the grass on my boulevard in front of my house is dead because all the winter sand had piled up on the grass right. and killed it. Uh, this year, the sand didn't kill my grass because it was a calcium chloride on the bus route. 
unfortunately, the calcium chloride killed my grass. Right. So end result, the grass is still dead. The expansion that they're talking about with this program, expanding it to basically all priority one and two arterials, it's going to cost an additional four million bucks. So you have city administration coming hands open with something that residents have not been in favor of. You get complaints from residents about the rust and the damage, but also that roads appeared to be more slick last year than in previous years. And it comes with a four million dollar ask. What do you think is going to happen? It's it's about roads, as you said in a previous episode, is going to get funded. I think the opposite might actually <laughs> be true. So Nickel and Katarina, the counselors, I suppose I should, Counselor Nickel and Counselor Katarina yes. have both gone on record with the journal saying they plan to table motions, asking administration to just scrap the entire program. We might actually see it get scrapped next week. Um, that'll be interesting, if nothing else. Uh, you're nodding your head. You're not a driver. It doesn't really impact me, to be honest. <laughs> it's hard to get worked up about this item because I drive so infrequently. Uh, I am one of those people that puts winter tires on my car, and I seem to get along just fine. I don't I don't think too much about the sand or the calcium chloride. That'll be an item to watch next week. Troy really wants his drivetrain to survive this winter. But there's a couple quick items we have before we get to our main item. The first of which is we talked in previous episodes about there not being a counter-narrative to Prosperity Edmonton. Well, there is now. We're not the only ones who picked up on that. I've had many conversations with people in the last number of weeks where they have also wondered about this counter-narrative. And now there's a group of people that is going to try to do something about this called Thrive Edmonton. So they've created a website, thriveyeg.ca. And the whole idea here is to collect stories from Edmontonians about programs and services that they find valuable that could potentially be cut in this era of austerity uh, to be able to say to city council, look at all these people that don't want you to cut these things. So that's a, if you're interested in not getting things cut, go to thriveyeg.ca and share your story, share your stories. The other story that came up way out of left field. I, I don't know if you were as shocked about this as me. I was shocked. Definitely. And it filled my feed that day. Like that was the only thing that happened. We're talking about Paula Simons is a senator now. Uh, this is not something I expected in this Newsweek, and it's only tangentially related to city council. But it's interesting because that's the second sort of major columnist that the journal has lost in the past couple of months. Graham Thompson left at the end of, I believe it was August. So Paula's last column, she wrote in it, this will be probably my last column at the journal. So we might have lost Paula Simons already. How does that bode for Edmonton journalism? I think it's great for Paula. It's a nice uh, vote of confidence in her. And, you know, she's a, a really deep thinker, really smart person. I think she's going to be really good in that role. Comments about what the Senate does notwithstanding. Uh, for the journal, it's a big loss. Um, you know, when people think about the Edmonton Journal, I think Paula Simons is one of the people they think about. Um and to lose such a prominent voice, uh, someone who's been a champion of many, many things, someone who's also been uh, considered a pain in the butt for many other groups, like you want somebody like that in an editorial role uh, for a newspaper. So it's a big loss. Yeah. And I mean, Paula, she wasn't just like columnist yells at clouds. She was doing no. hard hitting reporting on material things that, you know, changed lives in the city of Edmonton and in Alberta. Absolutely. So, yeah, it will be a loss. Uh I will mention on Twitter, there was one person that suggested the greatest political cartoon, which is, you know, you get a political cartoon of Graham Thompson and Paula Simon's names on giant shoes. 
and then David Staples right beside trying to tie his. Uh, I thought that was hilarious. Maybe someone will listen to that and make it happen. The meat of this episode. uh, So last week I came in and I had just come back from a meeting with Counselor Paquette and a few other people. And I was saying to you, I really want to talk about something, but it's embargoed until next week. Right. Well, the thing that was embargoed is no longer embargoed. And that's Counselor Paquette tabled a motion to explore free transit in the city of Edmonton. This is not a new thing in Edmonton's transit history. We actually had free transit, most people remember, on the LRT until, I think, 2004, at least in the downtown part. Yeah, it was from Grandin to Churchill. And people have explored or at least raised the concept of free transit in the past. I know Councillor, or when he was a councillor, Mayor Iveson brought up the idea. And we now, of course, recently have free transit for children 12 and under, as long as they're accompanied by a pain. Yeah. So I want to put a little lid in that because people are selling it like Don Iveson did actually anything material at all. No, free transit under 12 for people with a paying adult. It's not a material change unless the kids can actually be free on the bus. Get on there by themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That aside, Essentially, the breadth of the motion was he wants to explore if we made it free, not sort of like a zone here and a zone there or, you know, with caveats. Right. What would it look like if Edmontonians could get on the bus or LRT for free for a year? And how would our service delivery change and how could we implement that? So what do you think his rationale is or his what what are the driving reasons behind this motion do you think so there's a lot of differing reasons the primary one is at some point we have to realize that private car is not going to be a development strategy that will work long term for the city so we have to make transit a viable alternative i've spoke to council about free transit several times in the past couple years and one of the things i mention is if i'm going downtown to go to like rapid fire theater or something i park for 550 at the library maybe it's 750 now and i can fill a car and be there all night i try to take the bus with three people and suddenly we're paying you know 20 bucks round trip at that point if the cost of transit is substantially higher than using a private car and transit is less convenient more time consuming right it's a bad solution so we're providing a service disincentive and a cost disincentive part of the cost thing is that people don't think when they get into the car though about the gas and the insurance and everything else that goes into maintenance they just think about the parking which is true but and I'm not if, disagreeing, by yes. the way, the transit has become really expensive in our city, especially compared to what you can get for $97 a month in some other places. Yeah. And what I've argued in the past is Edmonton is a place where most people do have to own a car for some reason right. or other. So the insurance, the maintenance, it's a sunk cost. If you if every Edmontonian is already paying these costs, it's only going to be the gas and the parking. That's going to be what they compare apples to apples. And so this motion is saying, well, let's take some of those apples down. Do you think there's any reason to look at this from an environmental point of view? Do you think Councillor Paquette is thinking about that? Yeah. So, and I talked to him about this. He doesn't want to push. There's absolutely environmental benefits for this, but you know, when you tell people to eat their peas, yeah. that's not a winning argument. Right. We're talking about if we can make this a service option that people prefer and that we can, if we can get more people on the bus to benefit themselves personally, I think that's a more compelling ask to the citizens of Edmonton. So some of the things, 
There was a report that the city did in uh, 2016, which was basically the factors affecting transit use. And one of the things that city administration did explore was what if there weren't fares on transit? So we, we've got something fairly recent from city administration. That report didn't sort of consider the broader context. But one of the things the report conclusively said with research is that free transit does cause a sharp increase in ridership. However, that increase is not usually sustained unless service quality improves. So frequency and reliability improves. And fair point, that makes sense. The key, and I think this gets lost on some of the commenters and the Edmonton Journal did a oppositional editorial about this, free transit is a method of getting us to better service. Because the big problem with Edmonton Transit right now, people complain about, is frequency. Buses don't run frequently enough. If you get substantially increased demand, you can run more buses at more spaced out intervals. We can get to that higher frequency, but if the demand isn't there, you can't justify running those additional buses. So I want to come at this from the point of view of costs, right? So uh, transit is about 10% of the operating budget for 2018. There's another 1% on top of that for the Valley Line LRT, so that's separate. So we're talking about $380 million a year for transit, 30 million of which is DATS, right? So ETS says they operate at a 45% fare box recovery, which means 45% of the cost is comes from people paying with tickets and passes and things like that. We know actual. We've looked budgets, at the data. Yeah. It's a bit lower than that, somewhere between 30 and 40%. Uh, but either way, you're looking at around 200, 230 million dollars that a free transit motion would require per year, assuming no other changes in, in terms of the frequency or maintenance or any of those types of things, which if ridership does go up, you would think would also have an increased cost impact. So I guess that's the first question. Is it worth $230 million a year? Are we going to get more people riding and have the sort of benefits that we think will come from that? Um, and the other thing is, if we agree that better transit service is what we actually want, why wouldn't we spend the $230 million to do that? I'm someone who tries to take the bus as much as I can, and I'm so frustrated most of the time with how poor the service is. So if you can't even convince me to take the bus regularly as someone who wants to, I don't know how you're going to get people out of their cars to do that just by making it free. I think it needs to be substantially better to get people out of their cars. One of the counterpoints I'd make to that is looking at the UPASS program. So let's address the elephant in the room. It's not going to be free transit. Someone has to pay sometimes. And the sort of discussion is the average homeowner will probably pay an additional $160 per year for free transit or about 14 bucks a month. That's if all of the cost needed to come from taxes, right? Yeah. The, uh, assuming, yeah, we obviously the motion asks to explore, you know, partnerships with the province yeah. and Canada, but assuming... Edmontonians were bearing the entire brunt. It's about 160 bucks per property per year. If you look at the UPASS program, which is basically the same thing, it's socialized on the student fees. Every student pays it and they all get a UPASS. Yeah. A full quarter of every trip made on Edmonton Transit is done by a UPASS user. So that's pretty high. But if you look at the actual proportion, so like in terms of Edmonton, students and people under 24 constitute about 15 to 17 percent of the population, mm -hmm. whereas the representation on ETS is 25 percent or more. Uh, so we know that basically this system works. It gets more people in the demographic that get paid onto the bus. The other interesting component about Edmonton Transit that people often don't think about is 
commuting on ETS is a huge proportion share of ETS usage. Right. Uh, globally, basically, a transit system expects about 20% of its usage to be commuting, and the rest is, you know, leisure trips or going for groceries. And I mean, that share is about 50%. So we have a problem where we only use our buses for going to and from work, and that's a problem that might need to be solved. And I think that's where the free transit comes into it. Right now, the only affordable way to ride on ETS is to buy a monthly pass. That means you can't just do a spontaneous trip because uh, you won't pay monthly or you'll pay a lot in ETS fees. What I do is I buy the ten, the ticket strips, right? So 10 tickets at a time and keep them on the sort of bulletin board by the door. So if I know I'm going to go out and take the bus, I'll take one of those tickets. But um, tickets. I'm not going to carry $3.25 in cash, right? Those tickets are also something that wouldn't have to be printed if transit was free. Right. That's another cost savings that people don't think about. Or the transfers or any of those other things that go into fares. Haven't we disembarked on this whole smart fare pilot project or implementation project, I suppose, with the region? Like now basically we're saying all of that fight fight that went on to, to make that thing happen, forget about that. That's kind of interesting. Didn't we spend five years using a communication-based signaling system to throw it out and say, <laughs> we're going to build a block-based one in three Not months? saying it's a bad thing. It's just really interesting. You know, all the effort that went into making smart fares a possibility, and then we could maybe just get rid of that with no fare at all. It's really quite interesting. Uh, safety. Yeah. So one thing that's not discussed as much is this would be a huge win for the Edmonton Transit Drivers Union. When you make drivers collect fares and gatekeep at the bus, that puts them in a very dangerous situation that most drivers don't want to be in because, you know, suddenly that belligerent drunk guy who doesn't have 325, you're the one saying, no, you can't get on the bus. Where if transit is free, he sits on the bus and goes where he's going. That doesn't address sort of the other aspect where we have a sort of fear mongering about transit safety right now. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like this has come up at a time where we're very susceptible to the recency bias, right? So there's been some incidents recently around safety, and that kind of makes people think that transit is not safe. Even if you look at, even though if you look at the statistics and look over time, it's not really all that unsafe, at least not the way that people think about it, given the, the recent things that have gone on. I'm not downplaying what you've just described and the fact that drivers do have a very difficult job. Um, but it's not as bad as I think people have in their heads right at this moment. So I'm going to talk about the political implications of this because you're sort of progressive dude. Like you like changing the city for the better. I would say so. And you're giving me some pushback on the free transit. So when we were talking about this motion last week, we did a brief nose count. And, you know, some of the things we said is, you know, we've got these counselors in our pocket. Mm hmm. I'm less certain about that. So the way city council works is he Councillor Paquette made the notice of motion this week. That means the actual motion to explore this comes to council next week. Right. He's going to need seven votes for this exploration to happen. I am not sure we get there, unfortunately. Um, if you look at sort of the support that we'll need, uh, you have Henderson and McKean. Sure. We're going to have them on board. Iveson's a big question mark because right. he's really holding this, holding budget to the line. And we're just talking about $300 million for Terwilliger Drive. Does he have an extra $200 million per year in the pocket for free transit? I don't know about that. And one of the votes one should really count on is Councillor Esslinger because she's been really advocate for child-friendly Edmonton. 
So you know this, you know, it helps families. But she was one of the people that was on record at the journal saying, I'm not really not sure about this. This sort of shocked me to my core. So that's going to be something that's very interesting next week. Does this research motion even pass? I mean, I'm probably in favor of doing the research. I, I hope that the research would include a look at all of the other cities around the world that have tried to do this. Uh, Paris is probably the biggest one at the moment that's talking about making their transit system free. Um, but we need to find some comparable ones to Edmonton because Paris and Edmonton are not at all the same. Do we, though? I mean, it sounds a lot like, yeah, but they don't have winter in Denmark. It's not about the winter. It's about the fact that they have 11 million people, most of which who take the tr- take transit every day as their only mode of transportation. And they can t- potentially fund their free transit with a congestion tax. So if you're driving into the center of the city, you pay a tax, and that's what funds their free transit. Edmonton is a very different place. Far fewer people, far fewer people that take transit as a matter of course, and there's no way we're going to fund this with any kind of tax on drivers. That's just not going to fly politically. So I'm a bit unsure about how we actually make it happen. And then to your point about that initial bump in ridership, but it comes back down, I'm not convinced that we're going to see any sort of sustained increase in the amount of ridership without some major investment to make the service better. And I'd rather do that first. Yeah, uh, your points about density are well taken. Uh, There was even some research done by the city in that 2016 report, basically showing the efficacy of transit as as it relates to population density. And basically around 10,000 people per square kilometer, efficiency exponentially increases uh, to about 20,000. So... Edmonton is much lower right. than 10,000 people per square kilometer. It's about 1,000. Yeah, so we're well below the density targets that really make transit a very effective proposition. So these are all things that will come up in the debate next week. I'm sure we'll be talking about this next week. Absolutely. When it I happens. Mean, don't get me wrong. I love the idea of free transit. And actually, one other thing we should mention is that in the the, the mayor's task force on poverty elimination, it was one of the key recommendations uh, as a way to help address those in poverty or at, at risk of falling into poverty is to make transit free. If you've ever done one of the poverty simulations that... Um, the United Way runs, you will very quickly realize the impact of transit on your budget. So from that point of view, you know, I'd love to see this go forward. I think it would make a lot of sense from helping our city's most vulnerable. But if the reason we're doing this is to try to get people out of their cars, I'm just unconvinced. It hurts me. It hurts me inside. We will talk about this next week. uh, But Really, that's it for this week. Uh, as we mentioned, uh, speaking municipally, we're a member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. Alberta Podcast Network, they do events. So they do some of their own events. Karen is a very frequent uh, contributor to all these different events for podcast training and things like that. What they also do, though, is list events on their website at albertapodcastnetwork.com slash events. Uh, it's a great listing of podcast related events, either things that you can go to as a podcaster or things that you can go to as a listener where other podcasters are going to be. So check that out. Um, there's tons of events that happen and they list both for Edmonton and Calgary. So if you find yourself going down the highway to clear some snow, you can look up a good podcast event in Calgary. Uh, speaking municipally, we're a production of Taproot Edmonton and Taproot Edmonton is actually hosting a panel at Edmonton Startup Week. Right. So this is the week of October 15th. Uh, Edmonton Startup Week is focused on innovation and startups and entrepreneurs. And we're doing a discussion on the future of local tech coverage. So Karen is going to moderate and then myself and Kara Bedford, who's the editor of Disruption Magazine, which is an online 
magazine about innovation are both going to be talking about this this topic. If you're a startup and an entrepreneur, what are you going to do in the future to make sure that you're getting the media coverage that you need to grow your business? It's important to recognize that when Max says we're doing a panel, he means Taproot Edmonton. Troy is not qualified to speak on this panel. <laughs> but that's it for this week. Uh, until next week, pay for your buses. And I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, speaking Municipally. municipally.